You're sitting in the hard plastic chair. And you're next up in the fourth grade spelling bee. You're walking to the free throw line, down by one with five seconds left. You're about to give a TED talk. You're sitting in the lobby before your dream job interview. How do you feel in those situations? I know I'm going to be nervous. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be feeling a little something, something. Right. Heart rate up, maybe some sweaty palms. Faces blushing. Yeah, absolutely. Shaking a little bit, the cold, clammy hands. Those are normal responses when we're in those high-pressure situations, big or small. The question I want you to think about is what would you tell yourself then? What would you tell someone else when they're feeling like this? No, really, like what would you tell yourself? <laughs> if you're like most of us, then you would probably say something along the lines of calm down. Calm down, settle down, it's no big deal. Right, relax. Research shows that over 90% of people think that that is the best approach. When we're nervous, the best thing we can do is work to calm down. Today, we're going to show you why that's exactly the wrong approach. And then we're going to look at some effective strategies to help everyone perform their best under pressure. I'm Trevor. I'm Alex. Welcome to the Learner Lab podcast presented by trainugly.com. Each week, something new that can help us learn. Let's go. Okay, so let's look back at this like calm down. Now, there's a lot of ways to say that. Everybody stay calm. What's the procedure, everyone? Calm. What's the procedure? Stay calm. That's right. We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure. Calm down. Don't be afraid. They're all kind of saying the same thing. The big problem here, when we tell ourselves or others to calm down, the big underlying message there is how you're feeling right now is not good. You should stop feeling right. like that. Right. And then when that happens, we try to minimize those feelings. Exactly. We want to avoid it. They call this trying to like suppress those right. feelings. And the research shows that actually trying to suppress this stress is actually the worst thing we can do. <laughs> and in many studies, it makes the feeling worse. Our brain is activated. Our amygdala is activated. Even the physiology around this is more active and more activated when we tell people to suppress. Right. It, it sort of makes sense, too, because if, if we're told that's not the way you should be feeling, then we kind of snowball into this effect of, well, if I'm not supposed to be feeling that way, but I am feeling right. that way, something must be wrong. And then it can also become a source of stories. So like we're trying to suppress. That's not working. We still feel anxious. Then the stories come. I'm not prepared. I don't belong here. I'm not ready. No one else feels like this. Right. And so this suppression not only makes it worse, but can also start to create some really destructive stories between <laughs> our ears. If suppression doesn't work, then what, what should we be doing instead? One logical next step is, okay, suppression doesn't work. Therefore, just accept the emotions. Okay. And a lot of people say that, but there's actually an even better approach right, according to the research. And they call it reappraising it, which is like changing the way we interpret those feelings and okay. that response. We teach our guys about what um, indicators of nervousness actually are. That's Cece Clark. She's the mental performance coach of the Cleveland Indians. So when we talk about butterflies, shaking, uh, brain racing, sweating, all that kind of stuff, um, we have a totally negative appraisal of those. We think that they are indicators that you're not ready. And in fact, bio, like if you look at physiologically what their use is, um, shaking is motor neurons going out to your extremities faster. So it actually gives you a faster reaction time. Uh, butterflies in your stomach or that your digestive system shut down. And so you can kind of feel um, your stomach 
not digesting and what the excess acid is doing. Um, the dry mouth is that you've shut down saliva to your mouth because you're not going to eat during that time. So there's like actually really good reasons all these things happen. And so we teach them to actually positively feel good about those things. The big idea here is that our body's response is useful and it's prepping ourselves for this moment. Yes, it's mobilized for action. There's a, this is a human response and it's actually a useful resource. Right. And one thing I want to be clear on, we're talking about the feelings when we're anticipating like a big moment, a big performance. Right. We're not talking about the feelings afterwards. We're talking about those, those things leading up to yes. it. And when we're saying performance, this could be a date, a test, presentation, uh -huh. big speech. Like when we're performing under pressure, that's what we're talking about. Reappraising those emotions and understanding that those are good. So one interesting study that deals with reappraisal is this GRE study that was done by Jeremy Jameson. I'm Jeremy Jameson, I'm an associate professor at the University of Rochester. And in the study, they had two different groups uh, of college students, yeah, yeah. Harvard students, I think, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah we were looking at, um, <clears throat> so we were looking at students who were preparing for this, maybe it's a stressful occurrence where you're taking a standardized test that has a lot of importance for whether you're going to get into different grad schools or not. Um, and so what we did is we took a sample of people who were preparing for that and we brought them to the lab to do sort of a practice test. And so we try to mimic the testing situation. So they, they have these two groups of students and both of them are sitting down to take the exam. And then they give one student or one group of students, they don't give anything. They're just like, take the exam. Control group. Yeah. And then the other group of students, they give them a short paragraph that basically says it's normal to feel anxious on this. And those nerves can actually help you perform better on this test. Was really telling people that, like, yeah, you're going to be, it's, a stre it's stressful. I'm not trying to pretend that, like, this test isn't stressful. It's stressful. You're going to be highly aroused. You're going to be sort of like, your heart's going to be beating fast. Your tongue's going to be sweaty. But that's fine. And so it's more of like, that's actually good. It's not like this is bad. It's not something avoided. This is good. If you were disengaged and you didn't care, that'd be bad. Both groups go and, and take the practice GRE. Mm -hmm. And then what they found is that, the group that received that reappraisal, they call it an intervention, mm -hmm. but the group that received that information actually did better on their GRE scores than the group that didn't have that information. Wow. And I think the really incredible thing about this study is that three months later, these students took the actual GRE. All so, of the students took the actual Yeah, no test. longer in the lab they went and took this. They're actually taking this to get into mm -hmm. to graduate school. Same effects applied. Whoa. So the students who received that short intervention, just that paragraph, right? Right they did better on the GRE. And right. so it wasn't just like this lab situation where it helped them outcome in some um, isolated right. setting. It, it kind of generalized. These small seeds that were planted, actually the benefits showed up months down the road and no other contact was made. Right. It's not like they were doing refreshers. It's no. just like these simple lessons that feeling these nerves is good. Right. Because that, that maybe took five minutes right. to read that page and then it had lasting impacts all the way through the next couple of months. Unreal. But that's mm -hmm. not the only study that shows these lasting impacts. They mm -hmm. also did one uh, with a, a group of students that were graduating from high school and then going into college. Mm -hmm. And they gave them like a couple week course uh, in the summertime before they went to college on sort of the reappraisal, the reappraisal process. Yeah. And they found that their grades were actually higher than the control groups even in their sophomore year of college. Years later. Yeah. So that's like one to two years after that. They were still seeing these effects from this little intervention that they did. Now, a few things we need to be clear on. This 
is not a like substitute for the practice and pre- preparation. Like right. the students were all prepared to take the test. Yes. They they had all these resources behind them. They had prepared for this and studied. And the idea of a house dress can be helpful. It's not going to help you like retrieve something from memory if you don't have that thing in memory. Um, what it helps you do is helps you process information. Like I mean, you hear you you ask hundred people on the street, ninety two of them will say stress is bad. Um, and so the only reason the sort of stress reappraisal stuff works is because people don't think stress is useful. And so what they try to do is they try to like ignore it. They try to like get rid of it. They sort of like pay attention to the stress rather than pay attention to doing what they need to do. The way we think about it is our emotional response, that feeling, mm-hmm. that anticipation can either help or hurt us as far as performing under pressure. And it's dependent on the way we appraise it. Right. If we try to suppress it, it's probably going to hurt us. We won't perform at our best. If we can reappraise it and use it as a tool, it will help us perform at our best. Exactly. I kind of yeah. think of this like, uh, you know, those weighted vests they make that have like 15 yeah. extra pounds to your body. Right. So if you were going to run a mile and you were trying to do your best time, if you had that that weighted vest on, sure. you're not going to run super fast, right? Because right. it's kind of weighing you down. Uh-huh. But if you take that off, then you can hit your full potential there. Yeah, so you're that's not going to run faster than you're capable exactly, of. Exactly, but yes. it's, it's no longer weighing you down. And the problem is when we interpret the stress in this ineffective way right. or try to suppress it, it can snowball and that becomes the weight. Yeah, it's, it it's the heavier. limitation of our potential there. Exactly. That's a perfect way to think about it. We don't really control how we feel, but we can control our response, which impacts our performance. Right. Um, there's some really nice research. Uh, Allison Woodbrooks at a Harvard Business School has these cool studies where they have all different kinds of performance tasks. People who are in this kind of this, this excitable, um, high arousal, positive stress state, um, they outperform the calm people like every time. So she looked at three activities that really induce some stress public speaking, a math test, and singing. Yep, all of those are pretty stressful. <laughs> and, and so each each one looks at sort of a different angle. So let's kind of go through all three. Mm-hmm. The first one, public speaking. In this study, the students were taken into a room. They sat them in the room and they said, in 10 minutes, you have to give a two-minute speech in front of a panel of strangers. And then they had to sit there for like 10 minutes to think about <laughs> with, this. With just their thoughts. Right. And then they went out and, and gave the talk. Now, there was two groups participating in the study. One group, before they gave the talk, had to say, and they told them, really try to feel this, I am excited. So this is sort of the reappraisal group. Like, right. how you're feeling is useful. It's a good thing. Right. The other group, before they gave the, their speech, they had to say, I am calm. Okay, so that's the suppression sort exactly. of, Exactly. Right? So this is kind of a war of reappraisal versus suppression, what happens. Uh-huh. According to the judges across the board, what they found is the reappraisal group seemed more persuasive, more competent, more confident, and more persistent than the I am calm group. It's all the things that we want, right? (laughs) Absolutely. All those things are helpful. And across the board, that group was better than the suppression group, the calm down group. So this one's kind of looking at sort of our self-talk, what we're saying between our ears. When we're in that room by ourselves. I am excited. I am calm. Right. Then they wanted to look at the other side of the fence of like what we're hearing from the outside. So on this math study, they actually had three groups. So group one, before they took the math exam from an outside source was told, get excited. Group two from the outside source was told, calm down. And then in this one, they actually had a control group that was told nothing at all. Okay, so we have a baseline with them. Exactly. And the results were consistent with the first study. 
the reappraisal group scored better across the board than the group that was told to calm down. Oh, so this is this shows that we can do this both as individuals and what leaders tell us matters. Absolutely. Both sides of the fence, like what self-talk and what teachers, parents, coaches, right. leaders are telling to our people. We can influence the way that people appraise this their stress. It's going to change how we interpret those physiological Which things. influences the way they perform, which is something that we all care about. Right. I think this portion of the study might be like the most useful and tangible nugget we can take away. And now, and I think that comes in analyzing the group that was told to calm down. Okay. So, okay, you tell me to calm down. Right. And now I'm taking like a high pressure math test where I'm probably going to be nervous. Right. Like you're going to feel some in stuff. The anticipation, in the anticipation, I feel nervous. So then I assume something's wrong because you told me to calm down, but then I'm not. Right. And so I'm interpreting these emotions as a negative thing. Whereas the group who's taught get excited, like I'm going to appraise these as a positive thing. Okay, time for my favorite one. The singing portion. So this one, you went into a room alone with a stranger and they had a Nintendo Wii and you had to sing Don't Stop Believing in front of a random person. That sounds like a terrifying experience. Just saying that made me feel kind of weird. Uh-huh. Once again, they had three groups, but this one, there's a little manipulation. Rather than comparing the reappraisal, I'm excited, with the suppression, they wanted to compare reappraisal with sort of just accepting it. Okay, so like we already know that suppression is bad. <laughs> yeah, so that didn't work. So, so we're going to compare... Let's try it just kind of owning it and accepting it. Okay. Okay, so... So what group, happened? Group one. Before they sang the song was, again, they had to say, like, I'm excited. Group two, the acceptance group said, I'm anxious, kind of owning the fact that they're nervous. Right. And then they had the control group that was told nothing at all. Right. Our baseline. Control group scored a 69%, like the song scores you. Uh The control group that was told nothing at all scored a 69% on average on the song. Not bad. The I am anxious group, 53%. So kind of a drop in performance. Right. And the group that was taught to reappraise it as a useful response scored an 81%. Wow. Huge boost in performance. Right. Small adjustment to the way we're sort of embracing these emotions. Because they were just told to say, I'm excited. It's like, I'm embracing this. This is good. This is useful. Across the board, this research shows when we reappraise, we actually help performance. When we're trying to suppress, we actually hurt the performance. One last thing that she showed in all three studies. In all these studies, they hooked the participants up. They were measuring heart rate, blood pressure, and many other like physiological responses. No change happened. Regardless of the approach, get excited, calm down, I'm anxious, control groups... The heart rates remain the same. So, so everything in the body is still happening regardless right. of what you're doing. So like, well, telling people to calm down, number one, doesn't work. But number two, it didn't change their right. heart rate at all. None of the approaches change the physiology. So there's nothing you can do to change the physiological response. It's responses. really hard. Yeah. But it's, you can change sort of what's happening between your ears. The interpretation of the feeling. Okay. And that is what can impact our performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's not just like this is not harmful. This is actually adaptive. And so it's more of like getting people to understand that like those adaptive um, amped up responses, that is a stress response. Like when your heart's beating faster, it's getting blood to your brain. That's, that's, that's really nice. That's a really good thing. 
this isn't a magic pill. It's not a silver bullet. It's it's not like we can just say, I'm excited, and then all of a sudden be great at singing Don't Stop Believing on Karaoke. <laughs> and sing better than you're capable yeah, of. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think the point here is that this helps us realize our full potential. It's right. not It's not like giving us a superpower. It's not enhancing. Yeah. This is not irrational confidence where it's like, oh, everything is great. But reappraisal is just simply understanding that it's useful. In a perfect world, we've taught them enough that they're filling the butterflies and saying, this is awesome. This means my body is actually prepping for this moment. And their hands are shaking a little bit. And instead of turning them into fists, they're saying, okay, like the adrenaline's flowing and this is kind of a liquid aggression that's going to help me go get something. Um, and there's, there's, they're enjoying the intensity. They're able to notice it's a big moment for their body, accept that and step into it. And it doesn't always feel good, but we can change the way we interpret that response and that will help us perform better. And so if you can teach people and give them the tools to adapt, more adaptively respond in one stressful situation, they can kind of take that with them and apply it to other situations. The fascinating thing about this research is that it works in so many different arenas. Like this is an important information for a fourth grader before the spelling bee. This is important for the professional before the job interview. And not only is it useful for the individual, it's incredibly useful for the leader because we can impact the way that our people are appraising their response and in turn the way they perform. I'm a basketball coach. Five seconds left in the game. Down one. Call a timeout. Big moment. Big moment. What we feel like the right thing to do is to tell everyone and ourselves to sort of calm down in that moment. Yeah, that's what most people would do. But right? again, the problem there, that's essentially going to lead to trying to suppress it, which doesn't work. Right. If we're to use some of these tactics and work to reappraise that feeling, it might look something like this. We're in the huddle. We stand up and smile and say, wow, I'm feeling it right now. And I know you do too. That means we care, and that means this moment matters. This is our body prepping itself for this big moment. We don't know what's going to happen, but let's go let it rip. We owned it. We reappraised it, reminded our players like, hey, we've normalized it. I'm feeling it too. And we helped them reappraise this and then go put their best foot forward. It doesn't guarantee we're going to win the game, but it's more effective than trying to hold these feelings down. The big idea here is before a big performance, mm -hmm. test, presentation, whatever, right. we're going to feel a certain type of way. Mm -hmm. There's not much we can do to change how that feels. Right. Our body's going to do whatever it's going to do. But there's a lot we can do as far as how we interpret that and like what we do with those things. It is human to feel how you're feeling. Like that, that is a human response before a big moment. And that response is useful. It's helping us. Those feelings that I'm having, that's my body preparing for this performance. And I should embrace those things. Absolutely. And realize that it's, it's useful for my body to do this and it's going to help me. Yes. When we try to suppress, it gets worse. Performance goes down. When we reappraise it and understand this is good, it helps us perform at our best. And that goes across the board regardless of the activity, the age group. And this is such a tangible thing we can all use. Now it's time for Jack to give us some questions. After the Desirable Difficulties episode number, what, two? Yep, two. We've received a lot of questions about sort of like, okay, where, when can you make practice more random as opposed to block? 
and like do we need to teach the fundamentals first and then make it random and our answer is like we can do those at the same time right like random doesn't necessarily mean we're like forcing someone to do something that's way too difficult it's we can learn the technique of shooting a basketball from close in on a short rim and at the same time that we're focusing on perfecting that technique they can move a couple feet in and out to the left to the right right you can do them both at this right time. and that small movement interrupts the, the pattern and will help them create a new opportunity to read plan and then shoot the shot now we're not saying they need to be shooting three pointers or just play two on two and they'll figure it out it's like no we can focus on the technique and make it a little more random at the same time a conversation i had with the major league baseball team we were like okay how could we take some of these elements and if the goal was to create um, a really good hitter at a young age, what mm-hmm. would we do? I think one is we would spend very little time hitting off a tee. We would get like a bigger ball, like a dodgeball type thing when they're real young. Mm-hmm. And we can practice by throwing that at them. So what they're doing, even if the kid is like four years old, the kid's getting good at hitting a ball thrown at them. Right. And just the nature of me throwing it, that's going to create the variation. Right. So right? they're sort of learning the mechanics while still introducing Exactly. The and they're going to be successful. They're going to hit the ball. Right. And like maybe when they start, it's a beach ball, like a big old thing. But mm-hmm. they're getting good at there's a thing flying at me and I'm going to swing at the right time and place to hit that thing. We're not saying throw from 60 feet away, throw them a fastball with a baseball, but it's just being specific on the skill we're developing. And like, that's a great way. They're going to, that's more fun than hitting off a tee. Right. They're going to be successful. They're learning the swing mechanics and hitting a moving target. And obviously as they get better, you move back, shrink the ball. And that's how I would do it. Like, of course, there might be a time and a place to hit some off a tee if we wanted to work on a specific thing, but I would spend the majority of my time hitting balls that are thrown at me. And one one distinction I would be clear on is we're trying to become a better hitter, not just a really good swinger. There's a difference between those right, two things. They're not the same thing. Like, you can have a technically beautiful swing, but if we're not good at the reading and planning and being in the right place at the right time, hitting the move and target, we're not a good hitter. Mm-hmm. Now, a good hitter certainly has a nice swing, but again, it's about practicing these two things at the same time in order to become a good hitter. couple things before we let you guys go. Don't forget about the question hotline, 805-635-8459. That stands for ugly. <laughs> Another thing we can use that number for is any episode suggestions that you have. Um, we have a few topics that we're kind of digging into, but we would love to hear from you as well. Yeah. Any any questions? We love turning those questions into podcast ideas sometimes. For so sure. We've it, done that. Yeah. yeah. A couple of these questions have turned into episodes. So any questions, any suggestions, any feedback, that number is open. Use it however you'd like. Thanks again for, for listening. We'll be back next Tuesday.